Thanks for listening to this episode of Unpacking Mental Health. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do this by clicking the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. And this is a $5 donation, which will keep the podcast ad-free and go towards covering the expenses. And I would love, love, love if you could give my Instagram and Facebook a follow and I will update you with the next podcast. So have a great day and I hope you enjoy. Today I'm speaking with registered nutritionist Mickey Willardin. Uh, Mickey helps thousands of Kiwis with her online membership platform and is an active poster on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Mickey has her own amazing podcast called Mickeypedia, so be sure to check that out because there's some real gold in there. Um, and thank you so much for joining me today, Mickey. It's very exciting because I'm quite a fan. <laughs> oh, Gina, thank you so much for asking me. It's a real privilege to um, come on your podcast and have the opportunity just to have a good old chat. Yeah, yeah, different for you being on the other end of the podcast. Yeah, and I love it. So it sort of gives me an opportunity just to, you know, talk about things which I really love talking about too. Awesome. All right. So based on your experience working with so many people around their nutrition, what do you see as repeating behaviours or mindsets that people commonly struggle with? Such a great question. So with regards to mindset, so I walk, I work with sort of two main populations, if you like, even though they do, of course, um, overlap. So I work with um, uh, sort of a weight loss population, so people who are wanting to help improve their body composition. Uh, and then I work with athletes as well, helping them enhance their sports performance. But, I mean, let's face it, like there are so many sort of uh, overlapping areas where they uh, were similar things manifest. And I would say that on both ends of the, or for both of those populations, something which can hold a lot of people back from feeling better is the belief that you have to, you have to starve yourself in order to reach your goals, be it um, that improving your body composition uh, or even sort of optimizing sports performance because part of that is, you know, being is that whole, you know, power to weight ratio as an athlete and trying to get as lean as possible, yet stay as strong as possible. And so people often come to me in a space where they are subsequently eating very little or in their head they're eating very little. Um, and that in itself can stall their sort of body composition goals or uh, what happens is that most of the time they don't eat enough and then subsequently they overeat at other times which almost cancels out you know the the calorie restriction um, aspect of of what they're trying to achieve so so yeah. I suppose from a behavior perspective probably under eating and not really um, grasping that you need nutrients to help um, support your metabolism regardless of your goals. Yeah, I guess there are a whole bunch of, what we say, extreme diets or very, you know, restricting calories and counting yeah. them and, and how different people go about that. So I think you, the diet culture is huge and there are so many different options that people probably get a bit confused or try a few at once or don't yeah. quite know how to get there. Yeah, that's it. And also it's the idea that you have to do something extreme in order to see success. And I think like often people people feel that they've been on every single diet under the sun um, and, you know, there's nothing that they haven't tried and nothing works. Whereas it's pretty boring when you say to someone, actually, you know what, you just need to probably bump your protein up to have a, um, to do food preparation because, um, you know, the food choices that help with most nutrition goals aren't ones that you can readily find on a shelf and um, and actually just put some sort of thought and uh, thinking around what you're going to eat and actually commit to it because people oftentimes are after sort of quick wins um, using extreme approaches which absolutely can work in the short term but in the long term uh, don't really aid in that sort of um, uh, behavior change that's required in order to sort of change your overall eating pattern and, and see success. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I went for a walk with a friend this morning and we were talking about how like meal prepping and having things ready, even at snack times that you've already pre-prepared, uh, being available stop you from 
you know, grabbing at something or stopping at the shop or that type of thing, which um, is counterproductive to what you're doing. Absolutely. And then if you think about, you mentioned the keto diet before, and this happens a lot, actually, is when people hear about the keto diet and they see on social media these success stories of people who add, you know, lashings of butter to everything, um, bacon and eggs. And yeah, they just live on bacon. That's what I think of keto. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, right? And um, and these like fat bombs and bulletproof coffees and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I can effortlessly lose weight using this approach. Whereas, actually, if you look at the literature around um, and the experts in the field of ketogenic approach for fat loss, the actual diet itself isn't actually as high in fat as social media would have you believe because they talk about, you know, the energy source from your diet being fat, but actually being fat that's already stored on your body. So if you think about that from a what you put in your mouth perspective, it's a lot less fat than what you might expect but you mentioned snacking before Jenna and so what people do when they come to keto is that they suddenly swap out things like apples they swap out carrots um dare I say it they swap out even sort of corn thins and rice thins and they start eating cheese and nuts and fat bombs and then they wonder why they're unable to shift any body fat mm-hmm. um they may well be in ketosis so their body may well be producing ketones because there is a lot of dietary fat available and the carbon take is low but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're burning their own fat stores which is the purpose or that particular purpose of a you know keto for fat loss yeah yeah and I guess you touched on social media and it's quite important that not everyone that is posting on social media is a registered nutritionist or a dietitian or educated in how that actually works right anyone can throw a post up so being careful to see where that information is coming from is probably important. Yeah, totally. And I guess it's, you know, it's it's interesting as a nutritionist because it's not a protected field. So, you know, no one, you know, you can study dietetics. Um, Oh, sorry. If, if you study dietetics, then you call yourself a dietitian and no one else outside of that sort of field can call themselves a dietitian. Whereas mm-hmm. in nutrition, you could do a weekend course. You don't even have to do a weekend course. You can just decide that you're suddenly a nutritionist and you can call yourself a nutritionist. Now, obviously a registered nutritionist sort of sets that apart, but it's just, but you know, everyone eats, everyone has an opinion on, on mm-hmm. the best approach to diet, or it seems that everyone has an opinion. It's probably not the case. Uh, and then um, anyone, as you say, can throw up a post. And actually, you know, when things are going fine, things are going fine. But it's just when things start to go wrong, those people who haven't necessarily been trained, they're less able to sort of be able to di- do a little bit of a deeper dive to figure out what's going wrong. Like, mm-hmm. because anyone can sort of put up a diet plan and follow it and everything's hunky-dory until it's not. Yeah, yeah. So you're also, you work at the university or you? Yeah, I work as part of an um, organisation called Te Pukinga and that's, um, that it actually, it's not yet quote unquote live if you like, but I'm part of a Unitech, which is a, a Polytech and all the Polytechs have now sort of um, come together under Te Pukinga and I believe that it's from April this year that we're sort of formally recognised as such. So yeah, I, I work in tertiary education as well. Yeah, yeah, and you're training uh, nutritionists, is that right? No, no, no close. Um, I am a, um, I teach on a diploma of sport program. And so I talk to personal trainers and I talk to coaches and I talk to um, people who work in community sport about nutrition and about health. Okay, right, interesting. I've also, um, on that note about diets and um being restrictive in mindset before we move on from there. Yeah. Um, another friend of mine, Michelle Yandel, I think you've also um, had a podcast with her. Yes. Um, she's got some really interesting um, points in what she's doing with her groups and probably not focusing so much on trying to meet these, I don't know, body ideals that we're all kind of conditioned to think are right just for the sake of conform and you know I guess I I don't know she'd probably put it a lot more eloquently than me but it's been interesting to um see some of the content she puts out and the 
just changing your thoughts on and maybe thinking about why you're actually so interested in dieting and food related things aside from health issues obviously yeah absolutely so there's you know like I work actively helping people improve body composition and of course mindset is a big part of that and understanding why people want to lose weight want to gain muscle want to um uh aspire to be you know to physically look different like that's the area that I sort of work in um and that is very that is absolutely in diet culture absolutely and and Michelle is works in the almost not opposite but just a very different sort of space it's it, we're both trying to help people feel better but I guess we work in different areas um and I yeah. love Michelle's work Michelle does amazing work with her um health coaching and her empowerment program and, and things like that and it's awesome to see I love her messages that she puts out there yeah yeah what would you say I guess the correlation between diet culture and people's self-esteem and self-worth you know do you see a bit of a I guess from a mental health perspective those two can kind of come together can't they not being happy with yourself and physical appearance yeah of course you know that's I mean it's a very well-known sort of relationship if you like um and people's self-esteem is wrapped up in their body esteem and 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 how they feel sort of on a day-to-day basis and it's interesting when people however sort of get on a plan and you absolutely call me biased because um you know I'm just thinking about my own experiences with clients is that when you focus on the right things to help improve body composition it's not just body composition you work on it's mindset it's providing nutrients for the brain it's providing nutrients for energy so suddenly you can do a lot more and, you know, people grow in confidence with making good food decisions, with not feeling sort of beholden to, to a sort of diet mindset, um, even one or two weeks after eating in a different way, you know, and they build confidence from there that I don't think that they... I don't think you have to look different in order to build that confidence. I think part of it is a control thing. You know, yeah. pe- people feel out of control around their food so often because they spend so many, so long restricting to then rebound and overeat. They feel this lack of control or loss of control. Um, and if you can work with someone to improve their diet so that doesn't happen, then I feel like they can build and grow in confidence and body esteem, even without necessarily massive physical changes. It's all because mm. it all comes from your your mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you must get a lot of feedback on that from people that do your programs that have then seen results that they want. Because that's always a good feeling, isn't it? When you put in some effort and you get back the results, and that's a confidence booster. Absolutely. And do you know the biggest thing, Gina, is that people, like you don't have to feel hungry. And I think that's, the, that's you asked at the start of the uh, conversation, you know, a mindset that people might have is this idea, it, they feel like they have to feel hungry in order to achieve sort of physique success. And yeah. uh, and so when people follow like Mondays Matter, for example, the the biggest thing I get, two big things I get is one, I can't believe how important protein is. Um, and two is I cannot believe I'm not hungry. Yeah. And, and I think that, you kind of feel like you have to be missing out on something to gain something that you want. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to feel a bit miserable and it has to be a bit of, has to yeah. be a struggle street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But actually, yeah, there are some, like some tips I got from you when I had an original consult with you a while ago where to up the protein and um, I think I was eating toast every day for breakfast and cutting that back <laughs> a bit and that would get me through the morning, which was fantastic and it worked a treat. Um, and I had some issues with, you know, mood and hanger and all that kind of stuff and that kind of solved that whole problem, which it seems very simple, but and. You don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we are often told to reduce things like uh, protein. And not when I say we're often told, that sounds a bit vague. I guess what I mean is the rhetoric out there is very much that we consume too much sort of animal protein and um 
and in order to optimize our health this is a these that's one of one area where we need to improve and cut back on whereas a lot of that may well be true for some people but the majority of people i see under eat in that area and probably because they are the health conscious that will listen to that message and look at what they're doing and then think oh i must from here cut back mm. on that stuff whereas they're already not eating enough of it to help support mood support energy regulate appetite recover from training just get through the morning without being starving so i'm um, changing that mindset is you know that's a lot of what I do and, and getting people to up protein and people really struggle um, with doing it because that sort of goes against a lot of what they understand as a healthy approach I guess yeah but your guide is more around um, gaining protein through natural means and through foods rather than replacements is that right through yeah yeah so so it's definitely looking at portion sizes and where you were once eating 80 grams of chicken you now eat 160 grams of chicken yeah um which it's to not a, kind of like swap everything up for a protein shake no right. but having said that though people like I absolutely think that there's a place for that stuff in a diet mm -hmm. um, depending on the individual you know if you can't eat four eggs for breakfast then maybe you do need to look at supplementing in addition to what you're already having a um, you know putting in uh, protein powder into your oats or yeah. having making a breakfast bake that might include protein powder and eggs and it's just but but that's not a requirement in order to have a healthy diet. Mm, yeah. You also mentioned to me um, about vitamin D, which was an interesting um, an interesting one that I never had thought about taking as a supplement, but which has helped me massively as well. Oh, so, Gina, I'm so pleased that you um, found it helpful. Like it's people, yeah. And this, again, New Zealand is, is one of those countries where in the winter months, we don't have the strength from the UVB rays in order to synthesize vitamin D on our skin. And so people probably know that um, vitamin D is, you know, we make it from the sun hitting our skin, but it's not the sun per se, it's those UVB rays. So regardless right. of how sunny it is, and you're in Taranaki, which I know has many sunny days in winter, um, but you'd have to be outside for a considerable length of time, like 90 minutes to two hours in order to get enough of what you need. Um, yeah. So most people in New Zealand do need to supplement with vitamin D in order for their status to sort of come up to a to a sufficient range. But the other thing to think about is when you when we sort of evaluate vitamin D status, looking at results from uh, I, I guess our blood markers, the the reference range for vitamin D sort of optimal is considered from 50 to 150 in New Zealand. Whereas from an immune perspective, from a um, brain perspective, from a hormone perspective, ideally we'd have a vitamin D level of 100 to 120. So it's, you know, what is um, considered optimal in the lab isn't necessarily considered optimal by the people who research in vitamin D and, and provide these recommendations. Right. Yeah. And again, it's probably different for each individual. No. Yeah, it is. So what, what would be my my best advice around vitamin D is, in fact, to get a test a couple of times a year. Now, that is user pays, though. So I appreciate that not everyone is in a position to to pay for a test. And, right. and of course, right now, given um, the sort of overwhelm on uh, sort of blood test. I know there are some labs which aren't doing anything other than COVID right now. So I know right. it's not always possible, but yeah. but what generally. you would, generally, yeah, generally you'd get a test a couple of times a year. So sort of heading out of summer into a sort of autumn and in winter. So you know um, at what level you might need to supplement to help maintain your blood levels of vitamin D. And then yeah. also coming out of winter into spring, you'd do another test then so you would and then you would assess where you're at and where you might need to supplement into the summer months so whilst okay. it is individual what is sort of universal is that 100 to 120 um yeah. uh, uh uh units um i can't recall the units actually what they are in that maybe it's nanomoles that might be wrong though don't quote me um but it, on your <laughs> on your blood test and yeah 
you mentioned that you noticed a real impact of taking vitamin D, mm-hmm. uh, and I see that a lot. Um, and and well, for a lot of people who have like a low vitamin D level, yeah, I'm not really. I don't follow a lot of health information. I guess just what you generally see on you know social media, and I'd never even knew that vitamin D was a supplement. Like I, maybe I'm way off the educational track on this one but no no I don't think that I don't think you're off at all and I think a lot of people think that as well because we just think sunshine vitamin D yeah yeah Yeah. take vitamin C for a cold and some iron tablets if you're tired or you know that kind of thing yeah totally and you know it's funny you mentioned iron tablets because there are so it's like the the pro you get me started on these topics, Gina, and then I go on these tangents, and I'm so sorry. Um, oh, that's okay. <laughs> but I, I talk to a lot of people about vitamin, about sorry, their iron levels as well, and and they they come to me with low ferritin. Their doctors given them iron supplements, but because the ones that are prescribed aren't that well absorbed, and so they can um, uh, give people constipation, they just people just give up taking them, and they're like, oh, yeah. I don't take them because of this but I'm tired and I'm like, you need, you know, it's, it's that sort of people don't necessarily connect the dots. Like they know they need iron yet. They're not necessarily connecting the fact that they feel low energy with the fact that they've got low iron. So yeah. there's a, there's a solution. You take a supplement, but a lot of people because of their experience with the prescribed supplement, just assume yeah. all iron supplements are, are like that and just don't bother. Yeah, I think there's also a lot of information out there, like um, with anything really, like could be supplements or antidepressants or any type of medication that, you know, a lot of people frown upon these things. So you yes. you get this messaging coming from maybe older generations or people who aren't in the medical field and you automatically think, oh, I can get these nutrients from the sun and from food. I don't need those things. And that's kind of where you leave it. <laughs> But, yeah, and I yeah. find it actually, it is quite a misleading message, actually. And it's not just the older generations. I think a lot of, I think because supplementation requires money, um, it's not a popular thing to say that you can't get everything that you need from food. Uh, right. So I remember seeing there was a news, uh, something on the news um, uh, last year where, you know, a nutritionist researcher said, you don't need supplements, you can get what you need from food. And I understand why that is a message out there because many people can't afford to purchase supplements. Um, But that doesn't, but that's sort of not even a true statement. Like I don't, like there's no, I don't, how can I say this? Like it was almost like that was said. So people didn't feel they had to then spend their money on supplements if they couldn't already afford to actually eat properly, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's, that's, there's a disconnect there. And it's a really contentious sort of area, I suppose, because supplements are expensive. Mm. Um, but the reality but is, so is. So is good quality food. I guess that's a whole nother topic, isn't it? That socioeconomic oh. um, divide and health. A hundred percent. And it's, you know, it's because people say a healthy diet is expensive and it really is actually, and it's not getting any better in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Like everything seems to have jumped up one or two dollars. And then when you get to the end at the checkout, your grocery bill is now $40 more than what it was. And you're not actually purchasing any differently. And it's like, I think everyone is feeling that. And I imagine that the um, people of a lower socioeconomic demographic will be obviously experiencing that even more so Mm, yeah so no wonder I guess it's the time you kind of need to get growing your veggie garden and doing things like this to have seasonal food that does give you rich vitamins and minerals and things that would be amazing if people had the time to do it as well because that's I think that's you people are really resource poor and um if we think lower socio-demographic as well then many of you know being in that group might be working shift work uh might be extended households where all of the adults are working you know really long hours to mm. bring in money there is there might not be any land for um growing a veggie garden or all the time that it takes to actually tend to it you know yeah. and, and it, it actually still does cost money you know there's still things you need to buy to 
you know, if you don't have composting available at home, there's all kinds of different things that go into string lines and whatever else you need. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and then if you sort of contrast that with um, what you see on um, advertisements for Carl's Jr., McDonald's, KFC, actually KFC might be expensive, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, this the seemingly cheap food and yeah. the seemingly cheap food in the supermarket, which might appear at the f- sort of at face value, yes, they're cheaper to buy, but they just don't fill you the same way that good food would fill you so but but in terms of what you might purchase at the supermarket I can see why people will go towards white bread pasta um margarine you know thing like things which are uh, would fill the stomach at the time but not necessarily Mm -hmm. provide the nutrients it's yeah yeah I feel sad for New Zealand and the food um and, and what's going on with food right now to be honest yeah, yeah, it is definitely something something going on. I, I run another group as well called Unpacking Women's Mental Health and we had a chat about that the other day about food prices and everyone had noticed that their grocery bills had kind of increased maybe even more than $40. Some were looking more around the $50 to $100 mark and not really seeing much extra value. So I guess no. that's a supply chain issue and covid yeah. You know, even a few people in the group are not from New Zealand and they're experiencing the same thing as far as Italy. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's probably no answer to that right at the moment. But no, it's there's not really. It's uh, it's trying to make um, I mean, it's trying to, I guess, make things go a little bit further. Right. And it's mm. maybe for some people, it's learning to love things like canned tuna and canned salmon and uh, sardines, like things which are still relatively affordable, but they're not often food that people love. Yeah. Um, so finding more um, adventurous or different ways to serve that kind of that kind of stuff I don't know maybe making bigger batches of things and then um you know the bulk buying type stuff totally and you know I I always I feel like I get such a win when I go to the supermarket and see meat that's reduced for quick sale like I bought venison the other day which I would never normally buy because it's usually so expensive and I think it was three dollars a pack uh, as as opposed to twelve dollars or thirteen because it was very near its sort of end date and and um but you know you freeze that you bring it out you slow cook it boom yeah so which supermarket do you shop at? I'm sure everyone would love to know. <laughs> so uh, I we shop, we've got a countdown just up the road. And, oh, right. <laughs> um, so we, we shop at Countdown. And, you know, it yeah. would be if, you know, if I had the time, um, actually I don't even know that farmer's markets are running right now, but it would be amazing to be able to go to a farmer's market to get fresh produce and fresh meat and, yeah. and things like that. But, you know, time is a resource which is also quite scarce for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's countdown yeah. for us. Um, on that note, with the time and things, we've actually just tried um, HelloFresh for the oh, last three weeks. So yeah. That's been a new interesting way with dinners to kind of, you know, take the thinking out of it. And I've found it really helpful to not have to decide what we're eating every night. <laughs> oh, 100%. That's one of the reasons why we we sort of think we we bulk cook if you like like slow yeah. cooking meat which will last three nights and and I don't I, like I I know there are people who need to have something different every single night um that's not me which is quite good like I, I can happily have the same meal a few nights in a row without feeling overly tired of it yeah. uh but that decision burden that's you know it's a big thing for people like they've like lives are busy and they're probably mm. for some of us and particularly I imagine the women that you work with they they may well be um, organizing a household running kids around uh, uh, might, might even be working full-time or even part-time involved in some sort of you know um, school sport and then they have to think mm. about what to put on the table at night and, and I'm and I'm yeah. not saying that it's only a woman problem because men the same thing but yeah yeah predominantly though I suppose it's it falls to the mum mostly, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. you know, like I appreciate what you're saying with that decision burden. Like if you can just take that away, like yeah, one just, less thing you have to think about. 
makes a huge difference and having all of that even right back to the stage of you know a grocery shopping list and having to do all of that sure it costs a little bit more and we're fortunate that we're in a position that we can afford to use that resource um but it, it's also been helpful because you know the little recipe cards come in my daughter is 13 so she oh. can also follow the recipe and cook a night so it's you know when she finds that fun and we all have a turn so it's nice it's just a, a good way to an alternative you know it totally and it also sort of breaks you out of your usual routine uh, yeah. of, of what you might normally have you know yeah, one of the rotating 10 meals for the last five years or something <laughs> basically you kind of add to your repertoire because um, yeah. one of the other things which people often report feeling bored by their food um, yeah. or or they're unable to stick to their diet um, for any length of time because they don't actually vary it and then your taste buds actually get a bit um, your taste buds sort of they start wanting a different flavor or a different texture mm. so it's you know when that happens regardless of how full you might feel um, it's very easy to sort of then steer off your usual you know dietary pattern in that situation yeah have a so another part. question i have for you mm. scientifically we're getting serious here hanger is that a real thing can, can oh, all yeah. women or men as well um, claim that that's a real thing absolutely absolutely oh. it's uh it's you know, hanger usually comes from this drop in blood sugar that occurs when you um, haven't eaten enough uh, normally protein and or fat in the previous meal to help or you've gone too long without eating and both of those things are going to drop blood sugar. But hanger sort of comes more when your blood sugars almost drop off a cliff you know and right. so you're um if you've had too much carbohydrate in the preceding meal then then what happens is that the carbohydrate is digested into glucose and pushed back out into the bloodstream so your blood sugars rise and quite quickly or can be quite quickly then mm -hmm. In response to that, insulin, a hormone that is responsible for storing nutrients, that's released into the bloodstream to remove that glucose and to store it away for, for later use or to use it at the time if you were being active. But right. the, the higher your blood sugars um, go, the more insulin is released to then respond to that, then the quicker that glucose sort of leaves your bloodstream. So it can very much be this sort of rise in blood sugar, then sharp drop in blood sugar. Yeah. And that's what can lead to that sort of hangry feeling where you might feel really satisfied and fine one minute and then starving the next. Yeah. Um, you feel I irritable. Even you get like a little bit, like I can get a little bit shaky or a little bit, like you yep. can definitely feel something bubbling inside like absolutely yeah that you get you you can get, some people get lightheaded um dizzy absolutely shaky really irritable and really yeah. quick quick to sort of snap back if something is you know um something unfavorable happens that yeah the hanger is real right oh that's good to know i'm sure everyone will be pleased that they can't just be blamed on on moodiness <laughs> no definitely can't be right so kind of on a similar tone um the food we eat i guess it's kind of obvious that it does have a direct impact on mental illness but with regards to depression and anxiety which is what we talk about a lot in the j word um what foods are best mm. to help manage depression and anxiety and what might exacerbate them a bit more? Yeah, it's such a great question. So in my experience, a an approach which is lower carb, which is um, protein forward. So protein provides a lot of the amino acids that are that help produce neurotransmitters like our GABA, which helps calm us down, also helps with serotonin, which is our feel-good hormone. Um, and serotonin is a precursor to melatonin, which is also our sleep hormone. Um, so these amino acids, they 
provide the building blocks for our brain chemistry. And it's not just the amino acids that do, but they've certainly um, contributed a large part. And fat, omega-3s, saturated fat, that's also really important from a brain perspective. Um, mm -hmm. Helping protect our myelin sheath, which helps protect our neural system and, and things like that in the brain. So any food that provides a good amount of protein uh, mm -hmm. with the addition of sort of natural fat, that's going to calm the brain, which then helps you concentrate more, feel more even keeled. Um, it enables you to, uh, I guess, remain calmer and make better decisions and less likely to sort of switch into that sort of anxious mode because mm -hmm. – Part of anxiety is when you've got, um, it might be because of high glutamate levels in the brain and glutamate is another sort of neurotransmitter, which is an excitatory transmitter. So protein helps calm that down. Okay. Uh, uh, so, so what types of proteins are we talking here? I'm, I'm immediately thinking meat, but there must be, there'll be vegetarians listening who, yeah. what are the alternatives for that? Yeah, so meat and eggs absolutely would, would be your sort of top fish. Obviously, um, falls into that as well. Uh, mm -hmm. For vegetarians, um, the amino acids are less available in vegetarian sources. So you have to have about thirty percent more of things like tofu would be an example, um, mm -hmm. and of course derivatives or not really derivatives. Tofu is a derivative of edamame beans, but soybeans would be something else. Um, they like tofu and tempeh would be your best sources. Of course, you've got legumes like red kidney beans, chickpeas, uh, lentils. These all contribute to the protein load, but they do actually have about three to one carbohydrate to protein. So they are, in fact, a better source of carbohydrate than they are of protein. Oh. Um, yeah, so so that's just... And it, doesn't mean that it is an insignificant amount of protein. It just means you can't rely on them to get your protein sort of requirement. Okay. But, and potentially this is where if you are a vegetarian who does struggle with anxiety, then maybe this is where fat, um, um, having a higher fat content of your diet is actually more important because, as I said, fat also provides you with um, factors that help protect and um, calm the brain. So maybe that's a good case for a higher fat approach. Okay. Mm. So for anyone non-vegetarian, meat, eggs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meat and eggs are your best sources. Dairy for people who tolerate dairy, though, to be honest, um, that's – I look at, like, hard dairy, like cheese, is a better fat source than it is a protein source, but obviously it all contributes. Okay. Um, but also, you know, if you look at Julia Rutledge's research, she makes a really good case for um, micronutrients across the board. So, you know, fresh vegetables, 100%, mm -hmm. like like having good vegetable fibre as well can help support a good gut microbiota and therefore that also is related to mood. Um, okay. So... Really just getting in your less processed foods, I think, is, is probably the important thing. Yeah, I guess, um, and I'm not asking you to give medical advice, but yeah. um, people who don't want to take antidepressants or things like this to manage their mental health and want to take more of a food approach, is it often that you see clients, I'm sure it's case by case, but people that can manage it better just with food alone? Um. Such a good question. I don't often uh, – so I certainly see people who who take antidepressants and still see a benefit from improving their diet. And, in fact, in part because those nutrients that help support a better brain also help the action potentially of the, the medication as well. So that's always, you know, a bonus. But I – I have anxious clients who report back to me that making these dietary changes have changed how they view themselves. They, they, they no longer see themselves as anxious because yeah. this sort of lifelong thing has almost been corrected just by a shift in that nutrient. Because if you think mm. about, you know, our diet, like we, you know, you mentioned toast before, Jenna, like here, <laughs> yeah. in, here in New Zealand, we're brought up on wheat bix toast, porridge, we have sandwiches for lunch, and we are a meat and three veg or a pasta or a rice dish type 
you know, yeah. society. And I know things have shifted and things have changed over the years, but it's pretty common though. I think you nailed the Kiwi diet just there. Yeah. So <laughs> and, and and it's not that these things are inherently bad. It's just that they don't provide those nutrients that we need. And mm. you therefore either have to make room for those nutrients within your current diet or you have to shift your diet. And, you know, one of your questions that you also ask, not only, you know, what helps promote a better brain health, but what might detract from it or what mm -hmm. things might exacerbate anxiety, for example. And whilst everyone is really different, commonly I find either under eating or too much coffee, too much alcohol, too much sugar or too much um carbohydrate without that protein or fat buffer these are the things which i find are related to increased propensity to sort of react and be anxious right on that note with alcohol particularly um for myself i i haven't had any alcohol for must be coming up six months now and mm. that's had a huge shift on my anxiety I, i've kind of over the years had big breaks from it and I was only really a red wine drinker, but it might be, you know, a couple of glasses of wine in the evening would really tip my anxiety over the mm. edge. What's the chemical reaction behind that? Why is that so potent for people with anxiety? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, um, so obviously alcohol is a toxin and mm -hmm. your liver has to process the alcohol and potentially it's, that when we eat in addition to so one we might under eat when we drink because alcohol yeah. almost takes the place of of food so we're not getting in the nutrients we sort of need for our brain mm -hmm. two alcohol increases the use of those nutrients in our body so people are often people who drink more heavily tend to be lower in the b vitamins which are important for the brain um low in magnesium which has a calming effect on the brain mm -hmm. uh, so in the literature we see that those uh relationships also low iron level as well um and it also might be that alcohol impacts on blood sugar whereby we wake up and or we have it, it increases our propensity to eat sugary foods because we have this taste for sugar so right. that can then exacerbate that anxious kind of state um really good question and i and outside of the idea of the nutrients that we know are depleted in people who heavily drink i don't um everything else i've said is more based on a clinical experience and not mm -hmm. necessarily um what I would see in the literature or that I've sort of, you know, really researched myself. It's just what I see. Yeah. Yeah. Even I guess hangovers are kind, they're obviously the crash, the sugar crash, are they? Plus a poisoning of your body from the alcohol. Um, you know, the next day there's this huge kind of roller coaster ride up. Yeah. And then dump. Totally. And, um, dehydration is a massive one as well mm. right so yeah. and also alcohol impacts on your sleep so you get this sort of um fragmentation of your sleep and you get a lot less uh non-rem sleep i'm pretty sure that's right and so yeah. you you have a lot more dreams and your brain's a lot more active so you wake up feeling more exhausted and then that is going to elevate your cortisol your stress response and then that mm. is going to impact on your anxiety yeah yeah, and the other thing, I guess, which is probably interesting to a lot of women and people in general, um, coffee. So mm. that's also a huge stimulant, right? Like, I don't drink coffee at all. I haven't now for probably a year because it just feel my heart racing and just all kinds of random thoughts, you know, coming into my head, which would just be anxiety, but it's so noticeable. Um what do you what are your thoughts on that I've read a lot from Dr Libby who you know is anti-coffee I would say probably yeah um, I, th I think she would be because a lot of the people she talks to are possibly a lot like you you know really sensitive to caffeine really notice yeah. the impact of that um, stimulant there are there are different genetic variants which change how your body might respond to caffeine or not change sorry which which help differentiate people so there are yeah. people who can drink 
eight cups of coffee a day, no problem whatsoever with their blood sugar control, with their stress hormone response. Um, they might not, right. they might not notice a change in their nervous system that, you know, coffee is a known ergogenic aid or caffeine is, yet people who some people who are fast metabolizers might not even experience the benefit of caffeine from that perspective, you right. know. Um, yeah. Whereas there are other people like you who might be slow metabolizers, um, um, and that's a genetic, um, that has a genetic basis, uh, yeah. who get that real central nervous system response. And it, you know, and it really does um, muck with their blood sugar because caffeine can to some extent change your blood sugar response right. via its sort of effect on insulin but everyone is really different and often what I say to people when they are like do I drink too I think I drink too much coffee like I think yeah. <laughs> if you think you do you probably do because you know yourself what you can yeah. tolerate um whereas if it's never really entered your head that you drink too much coffee you're actually you're probably, probably right. okay yeah. yeah 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 interesting yeah it's funny and I guess people who do already experience higher anxiety and then have that genetic predisposition are going to get a double whammy of it, I suppose. I, I think so as well. And it also, you know, it like you drinking three coffees, you know, when you're on holiday, you can still feel nice and relaxed because you don't have all of the other stress of life on you. But right. when you start layering stress on stress and then you're sensitive to caffeine and then start putting coffee in, mm -hmm. you, you already know that that's just – uh, like almost yeah. the perfect storm right yeah um, the recipe for disaster yeah yeah but it does it's interesting because it doesn't stop us doing it you know it's the same with alcohol you know you know even if you know that alcohol makes you more anxious the pull yeah. of that sort of half a glass that helps lower anxiety um that then leads to two glasses which then leads to waking up feeling more anxious you know like it's a yeah. We're, we're almost wired. We, uh, we might be the only species that are wired to do things which negatively impact us um, as much as, yeah. you know, as it's much like as It's like that small amount of dopamine that you get from that initial, you know, hit of the alcohol or whatever overrides yes. everything you know is going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, totally. So interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's funny. You actually mentioned that to me as well when I spoke to you a year or so ago um, oh. about alcohol and how that first glass is the glass that makes you feel relaxed and, you know, gives you that, I guess, numbing effect of sorts. But then the second one, like that's kind of it. You're just on a downward slope after that. Yeah, and it's interesting. So I have a very, um, me personally, I have a, a, I would say like a moderate tolerance, but my stomach stops me before I tend to go too far. Like I almost have this, I I am like, oh, I enjoy a glass of wine. And then I have two. I'm like, yeah, sweet. But as soon as I get any more than that, then I almost have this physical kind of visceral, like, oh, I can't do any more. Like something in me is like, oh, no. Yeah, right. Whereas not everyone has that switch and they can just drink and drink and drink yeah. and notice it the next day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How could someone improve their overall nutrition to improve their mood and mental health, but I guess in a sustainably managed way? So we've talked about crash diets, how they don't work, and perhaps meal prepping is the best mm. option, but does everyone actually commit to that long term or, you know, what's the, what's mm. the secret sauce here? I reckon that um, the first step is to start with breakfast you know, because what you eat at the start of the day really impacts how you feel across the rest of the day. And if you commit to a higher protein approach, that is going to change your mood, your energy, your appetite, how you respond, how you act rather than react, like all of that stuff. And it's a small shift, but then you, if you do that, they will then allow you to make these other behavior changes across the course of a day because you will be more considered and you will be calmer. And then maybe making a healthier choice at lunch will be easier than if you were to just have your same sort of breakfast. Now, a lot of people say that, you know, from an appetite perspective that, you know, yeah, breakfast is not my problem. I don't feel hungry until like mid-afternoon, you mm -hmm. know, but it does, you know, breakfast is the sort of the thing that kicks that off. So a good hit of protein um, at the start of the day would be the one behavior change that a lot of people could benefit from. Okay. And what would be a couple of 
breakfast options that are perfect for anyone? Um, so, so you, if you were at home, you could do scrambled eggs with vegetables. Uh, mm-hmm. You could do an omelette. You could have leftovers from the night before, like have, you know, mince, chicken, whatever it was. Like people often think breakfast has to be some special meal, whereas it's actually just another, another meal time. time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then if you are on the go, that is actually when meal prep is, you know, preferential. So you can like, you know, down three boiled eggs with salt. Like that mm. would be, that would not be a bad start yeah. of the day for so many people. Yeah, but we're not talking um, cocoa pops and, uh-huh. you know, special bread or, you know, these types of things, that, a different kind of mindset on breakfast. It is, it, it does require a different mindset on breakfast for sure. Yeah. Okay. And I guess the last thing I would say is that if you, have questions about if you you know you are thinking I'm not sure that you that you're eating in a way that really helps um, optimize your health then start writing it down you know we there is so much that we forget that we do across a day that actually tracking what you eat allows you that information to then start to change what you eat so mm-hmm. um at, at the and very least about like recording it to growl yourself or no it's just hard be, on yourself it's just having information yeah yeah very good so if people want to get hold of you because you do offer one-on-one consultations for people as well as group work um you have a facebook group don't you as well as yeah so i have a um i i do private consultations i have uh uh just uh online programs that people can join and i also have my mondays matter program which is a group fat loss program which i run four times a year and the next time available for that will be in april and unsurprisingly it is like a protein forward approach and i also put in there things which we know from the literature help optimize health like Mm -hmm. and when you're trying to um, lose body fat so i have i'm sort of up to the play with all the latest uh, techniques, if you like. Um, And it's a really nice supportive group too. I love how everyone kind of like shares pictures of their breakfast or, you know, wants to share recipes. And you've got amazing recipes available as well on your website. Absolutely do. So, um, you know, people can just uh, find me on social media under my name, Mickey Willardin, on Instagram. And Mickey Willardin. We can watch you running around the country. There you go, Gina. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to come to Taranaki and run up Mount Taranaki. Yeah. Have you done the summit before? No, it's on our bucket list. Right. You can't, can you run up there? Probably not. I I don't know. You could probably, yeah, but in trail running, if you're moving, you're basically running. So I'd count it. All right. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jenna. It's I loved chatting. It's always fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unpacking Mental Health. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do this by clicking the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. And this is a $5 donation, which will keep the podcast ad-free. And I would love, love, love if you could give my Instagram and Facebook a follow and I will update you with the next podcast. So have a great day and I hope you enjoy.